Guts and Grit Podcast. A podcast where we discuss overcoming the odds, resiliency, and never giving up. Join us each week as host John Melson, Joy Vatrebeck, and Mark Renahan discuss coming back from failure and never quitting. Guts and Grit, it's go time. Hello and welcome to the Guts and Grit podcast. We are on episode five. We uh, thank you all for joining us. You can find us every Wednesday. And of course, we are on all of the major social media platforms and wherever you get your podcast. Of course, I have with me today my two guests. Joy, how are you, dear? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. And of course, coming to are you in Fort Bragg, Johnny? No, no, no. I'm still at Fort Benning. Fort Benning. I'm sorry. I keep doing this. I'm getting my Alzheimer's. From Fort Benning is, of course, John Melson. And don't forget, Noah, our engineer. And we have a very special guest this week. He is an L.A. police detective. He was once a NYPD detective. And he is featured on the Netflix series Crime Scene, Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. And don't forget, he is the co-host of the Armbar podcast, the Renaissance man, Mr. Nako Nolan. Nako, how are you, sir? I am doing really well. Excellent. It's, uh, really an honor to uh, be here with you guys. I was never an NYPD detective, though. Okay, uh, so you were uh, regular. Those guys are the de- best, hands down, the best detectives in the world, NYPD. Uh, but yeah, I was a patrolman out there. So um, yeah, I just wanted to clear that up. All right, well, but, uh, let, let's actually, Nako, let's just get right into it, as we always like to do on the Guts and Grit show. Tell me how you uh, started out. You know, you're from New York and you were an NYPD cop and then you, you went out to L.A. So let's let's have you tell us. Well, I mean, just like every other uh, New York Irish kid in New York City, it's like you only got a few choices, right? Like cop, criminal, um, soldier and uh, maybe throwing um, throwing a priest and fugitive in there. So, <laughs> yeah, my lineage uh, you know, was uh, heavily populated with uh, protectors. So long line of veterans and policemen. So that was the route that I was destined to take. And uh, I went into the police academy in uh, LAPD back in 96 and uh, from 96 to 2000. And then I had some family issues going on where my wife at the time, we had to take care of a sick relative, came back to New York City and joined NYPD from around 2000 to 2004. And then when that subsided, came back to LAPD and the rest is uh, in progress right now. So <laughs> it's been about, yeah, about 26 years or so of uh, law enforcement and uh, still going strong till the wheels uh, fall off. So, so here we are, but. Were you in uh, New York during the uh, 9-11 attacks? I was actually on a day off. I was in upstate New York visiting my family, had some uh, uncles and cousins and aunts up there. And once we got the news that the towers where America was attacked, uh, came back down to the city and, uh, you know, spent probably like the next year um, in a combination of in ground zero of a combination of duties of you know, rescue and recovery, uh, perimeter site security, uh, recovering evidence at the landfill, you know, everything in between there. So that was a, that was a, like one of the worst and best times of my life was being able to partake in that. And then the worst was to, you know, have to, uh, 
have to deal with all those uh, issues and see the, the toll it took on, on the city and the, on the country. Mm. And uh, huge thanks and appreciation for John and your boys for, you know, taking taking the fight for us overseas and uh, grab, you know, grabbing the football and taking it to them and, you know, getting that touchdown and, and getting some justice for, the, for uh, you know, my brethren and, you know, family and friends and, um, you know, for a debt that can never be repaid. So huge, huge appreciation and, and gratitude for that. So um, thank you. And, and Uncle, I, some, man, I, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I really do when, when folks want to pay thanks and, and respect for that. Um, you know, like, I, I know you just mentioned, like, you were upstate New York spending time with your family when 9-11 happened. Um, and you, were, you had already been on the, the, the police department for a while. I, I was actually, I had already been on the police department. I had my trip and stumble and fell in my life, and I was climbing back. I was actually at, at uh, the cafeteria at the college I was attending when 9-11 happened. And it, it's really bizarre. Like, I got to see on the news live one tower was already smoking and I'm sitting down eating a sandwich, waiting to get to my next class. And then I saw the second plane hit. And our last, last week's guest was Sean Pierce. And he was actually in the tower on the 73rd floor when the second plane hit. And to listen to his version of what that was, was like, there was a lot of it I could relate to, you know, some of the extravagant and traumatic moments that I found myself in while we went overseas. But when I was watching it on the news, it, it was so unbelievable to me I thought it was, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to sound like a dumbass, but it, I thought it was a new action movie, like a, a Bruce Willis movie. I'm sitting next to a guy and I didn't realize, even though it was saying live, I thought it was Hollywood. Right? I look over to this young 20 year old student and I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I was, Hey, what movie is this? I've never seen this before. I thought I've seen every action movie out at that point. And he, he looked at me and was like, Hey, jackass, like, like that's, that's for real right now. And I, I couldn't believe how bad it struck me like, down to my core. It was like, are you kidding me? Someone's doing this to us right now? And you being in New York, me in Boston, the big rivalry, yet uh, the Yankees and, and Sox, we just, we're, we're arch rivals. We're born that way, right? But there was so much like, who, who's doing this right now? Like, who, who would do such a thing? And yeah, the fire alarms went off, announcements at the school for us to evacuate the school because the flights came out of Boston. And I, I mean, that day I was at the Marine Corps recruiting office, like, hey, I had already served. And I was like, hey, I want to get back in. What, how do we do this? And that led me on my journey and to watch on the news until I could get cleared to serve after, you know, my, my waivers I needed to get and, and my surgery. What was your break in service? How long was the break? I had a 15 year break. Between Holy the Marine shit. Corps, yeah. So between the Marine Corps, <laughs> I, I worked for I worked for Boston PD for a couple of years, and I, I screwed up really bad, right? And I, I moved on in life, um, and and, and I, I feel like I, God gave me a second chance between you know serving my time and surviving the cancer surgery I had to go ahead and gave me the opportunity to serve again and, and be like, hey, get back out there and make something of your life. And, and uh, you, you mentioned the term payback. Man, there was such a, such a burning feeling inside. Um, a guy that grew up playing hockey in the neighborhood where me and Mark grew up, uh, one of the Bavis twins, he was on one of the flights. Uh, and it, it really struck a nerve with me, like, wow, these flights came out of Boston. I'm in Boston. These knuckleheads came to my town to go in and inflict all that on you folks down there in New York. And it was like, if I can get back in 
you know, you know God's will, that's his plan. I'm going to get in. I'm going to give it everything I got. And, you know, you guys back in the States, law enforcement, I had so many friends on Boston PD that had f- driven down to contribute efforts down there at, at Ground Zero. And, you know, when they found, when my buddies found out I was deploying, first off, they were shocked I got back in. They're like, no way, you're you? back in. How old were you, John? How, How old were you? When I, when I went back in, I was, um, let me see, so I'm going to be 51 in two weeks. So I went in, in in March of 2004. So I think it was 33 or 34 when I went back in. Wow, that's um, great. And it, knock enough for nothing. I mean, I don't want this to be about me. I want to talk about you. But like, man, after my surgery, I, I, I could barely do three push-ups when they let me back in. I mean, struggling. And I was always playing ice hockey and, and I was very athletic growing up. I was never as good as Mark. I mean, I don't want to take that away from Mark. <laughs> at the level where Mark was, I used to like to think I was, right? Um, you know, I had a had ambitions and dreams of like one day playing, maybe even if it was a goon to knock teeth down people's throats in the NHL. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play hockey. Um, but when um, after the surgery, I could only do three push-ups. And a month after enlisting, off I was. I was heading over to the Middle East, and that's what I wanted, and I got it. And I was so happy and the different types of people, whether in law enforcement that were also serving in the guard at, at that capacity as well. Um, man, I got the utmost respect because I know, you know, whether you're in law enforcement or in corrections, if, if I'm dealing with the police, it's because something bad's happening. And then those folks that are in corrections, they know they're only dealing with bad people. You know, they don't, they don't have the choice like, well, you know, is this guy a nice guy? He's in jail because he did something bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the level of respect, the mutual peace back and forth, I mean, I can't express uh, how appreciative I am because while I'm gone, my family's safe because of you guys, you know? No, that's- yeah, it, it, it was just like a real empty feeling. Like once, you know, all the kinetic activities were kind of winding down and then there's like a helpless feeling of like, wow, we can't do anything really about this to reach out and touch anyone. Uh, to get some um, get some closure or whatever a disposition on some justice. So when you guys went over there and handled business, uh, it was just unbelievable. And then to work with those guys when they came back, you know, with, whether it was reserves or new guys coming back that were active and coming into the PD, man, that was a, such a great feeling to you know hear the stories and, and, and work with just amazing individuals that brought so much back from the knowledge overseas. And um, one of my when I came back to LAPD, I wanted to somehow contribute to, you know, the, the investigations and all that. And I joined the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force. I was working like a counterterrorism role within LAPD, and then we got loaned out to that task force. And one of my partners on there was on loan from the, from the Army, and he was a ranger, uh, Chris Rosario, just one of the most craziest, funniest, bravest, uh, just very unique individual and man we had such a great time working with each other and i learned so much from him and uh so that was really really a great time to uh to be in the pd and and, then melding those two worlds of having that that uh that reach back to handle investigations that had overseas implications was 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 phenomenal and and naka we have to uh, i can't go without giving a shout out to the one and only jerry kane who was nice enough to come on our show jerry john was a uh I think, was Jerry a detective? He was a detective, wasn't he? Sergeant? 
uh, he was a sergeant too, but and a detective, wasn't he, Narco? Yes, he was. Yeah, um, and so anyway, he came on our show. He was uh, like literally, for lack of a better way, like one of the buildings almost fell on top of him during mm-hmm. September 11th. It's a crazy story that he came on and told, but Narco hooked us up with him, and I just want to give a shout out to Jerry. He's a great guy. Um, and Narco, yes. I know we were talking offline, uh, your dad was a ranger in, in Nam, so you kind of have like a family of service, uh, and you chose the police, which, you know, is unbelievably cool. But did after like September 11th, did you think of, you know, like, I don't know if your old man was still alive or still is now. I apologize for that. Oh, but. yeah. He's, he's still uh, kicking up, uh, kicking up dust in Sarasota, Florida. He was uh, still jumping out of planes. Uh, John knows, you know, airborne. So the day they die. So, yeah, he's, he's still getting after it. And, um, yeah, I, I was going to enlist uh, post-September 11th. And my wife at the time said, if you do that, it's an instant divorce. And so it was a tough decision. And, and you know, not funny, but, you know, I ended up did getting getting divorced down the road. You know, <laughs> you know other issues and all that. But, yeah, I was like, wow, I, I could have rolled back the clock. But, you know, you can't live like that. You know, who knows where it would end up. I'm in a perfect place where I am right now. But, yeah, that, that definitely was something um, I wanted to do. But, you know. It just wasn't uh, wasn't in the cards at the time. Well, working but, with the FBI uh, terrorism, no, that's no, that. Really yeah, well, well, that's that's acceptable, Marco. <laughs> that's acceptable. So, all right. Well, listen. Now, now you're done with New York, and you. How, what led you back to LA? Like, how did how did you end up being Narco Nolan? And you know, crime scene on Netflix. I, I was telling the guys it was cool as can be to see you on that. You know, yeah. but how did you get from New York to LA? From uh, New York to LA was uh, just my fascination with the West Coast of. The, the beach culture, you know, surfing, skating, BMX, and then rolled into the music scene and the arts. I've always had the inclination for music and everything just seemed like culturally it was happening on the West Coast. So at a very early age, like probably like pre-teens, uh, a buddy of mine, we, we had um, we had ambitions to go to Berkeley and be a marine biologist. And then, then somehow you know, things changed back to life. I always had that connection to, to the water and the sea, the ocean. So that was always, a, that was always a lane within the life where I was destined. And I live at the beach now. And, uh, and then once it became law enforcement, that was my chosen uh, destiny. I always, uh, was a student of history. So, you know, LA, LA was always on the forefront of policing, a very, uh, proactive and, uh, um, highly regarded in that arena as being uh, innovators. So I was always, uh, I read everything I could about NYPD, LAPD, and, you know, all the big agencies, Boston PD, awesome dudes up there. And when the opportunity came up, a buddy of mine uh, hit me up, said, hey, they're recruiting out here in, uh, for, um, you know, out-of-state residents. And I jumped on it and never looked back after that. So um, it's been it's been great. All right. Well, so I, I noticed when I was watching the, the crime scene show that one of the one of the job, I guess, jobs, uh, one of the areas you were assigned to was Skid Row mm-hmm. in L.A. Um, and just from watching the interviews, h- how was that when you first was that like, uh, I guess, shocking? How was Skid Row that area? How was working that beat when you first got assigned it? You know what? I forgot to answer your, your question before how I got involved in it uh, real quick. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to you. Um, you know, the guys in the AA community, uh, Danny Bora O'Connor and all the other guys I met through him. And, and my old man is in the, is in a friend of Bill as well. And what they, you know, not being a mentor, but through their leadership to seeing how they conducted themselves in life. And the big thing was always a being of service. So 
I chose a life of service, but then even enhanced with their, their personalities of, of, of uh, being asked to do something like being asked to do a podcast, being asked to speak here, being asked to uh, drive someone to the airport, whatever it is, uh, be of service. So uh, when a friend of mine hit me up and she ran, she, or she runs a, a great film company, uh, not a, like a tour company in downtown LA that specializes in like crime and true true crime and uh, film noir and all that type of thing. It's called uh, Esoteric Tours. They, the producers of Crime Scene uh, hit me up, hit them up and said, hey, do you happen to know any cops that worked in that area that uh, w- want to talk on, you know, about their experiences? So she so hit me up and, uh, you know, it was unpaid. And I said, yeah, Kim, for you, anything, be of service. And that, that's, that's reached back to, you know, the guys that I grew up with, you know, Danny, me and my dad and everyone else, Mike McColgan or all these Boston, New York dudes that they are in that program and, and, uh, just show up. You don't want to do it. I, you know, I sat there for eight hours talking about my experiences and, uh, you know, I didn't know where it was going to, I thought at the time it was going to be a little documentary, maybe a couple thousand punters would see it. And then as time went on, I found out Brian Grazer and, um, uh, Ron Howard from happy days with like the producers of it and it was like oh wow this is this is a huge thing i have no idea and then fast forward it's like the number one show for a month on netflix and they just you know asked me for you know, like i said for about eight hours of experiences down in skid row and it's one of it's kind of like you know working in new york city post september 11th like the best times of your life mixed with the worst so you see the worst of humanity but then when you're dealing with them you see the best of the worst these people that are going through extremely you know, hard, arduous times and being resilient and rising above their situation. And then on the flip side of that, when you're having a bad day or, you know, or you think you're having a bad day and you come outside, and interact with these individuals and you look at them and you say, my bad day is nothing. I'm being a pussy and whining about nothing. But these people out in the street would love to that their my word, my bad days would be their worst day. So it kind of flips your mentality of what's, uh, you know, what the world's really about and to get your mind straight. So that's kind of what I tried to get across within eight hours and then, you know, condense it into a couple of episodes, whatever. But it's been a a great experience dealing with the people down in Skid Row, interacting with them. And it definitely enhanced my my outlook on life. Yeah, John and I were just talking. uh, um, We have another guest coming up. Uh, an Afghan guy, you know, who grew up under the Taliban rule. And John and I were talking about how, like you just said, um, your, your bad day, you know, these people would kill for one of your bad days, you know, like uh, to give you an example right now, my, my car just died today coming down here. Right. And, and of course, uh, and when it first happened, I'm um, in my car and I'm yelling at myself in the car and all this, and this is blah, blah, blah. But I got a buddy who I just call up. He's like, yeah, you can borrow my truck for the weekend. And, you know, and it's, it's really not that big of a deal. But for five to ten minutes, you would have thought that I had, I had been tortured to death for <laughs> such world. inconvenience. And, and when you think about, you know, you working on Skid Row or John, the things I, I don't even want to imagine you've seen in all your tours and <clears throat> et cetera. It's, it's kind of like a, it's not a bad day. And plus, everybody can get through these days with a little bit of guts and grit. Yeah. So, you know. And it sounds from both of them, um, John spoke about giving back as well in his bio a lot. So thank you both for your giving back to the community. 
Yeah, and I got to give a huge shout out to Danny Boy. Uh, for those who don't know, Danny Boy is the founder of House of Pain, but most recently, he is the executive director and founder of the Outsiders House Museum, which I apologize, Danny, I have still not been to yet. But Naka, you mentioned like, you know, I, I always know, for example, when we were planning, Joanne and I were planning on the September 11th show, and I was trying to find a cop, I knew I could call you and I, I knew you would, you know, I know you give back and I can't thank you enough for that. It's the same with Danny. I mean, my earlier podcast, Danny must have, you know, God love him. He's, he's been a guest about five or six times. And I'm sure there were times when he was like, mother of God, here's Renahan calling again. What is he going to want now? So I, Danny, I, I can't thank you enough. Although we got to get George on here, Narco. I've, I haven't been able to twist George on to one of the shows yet, but, or Uncle Jimmy Nako, I think would, I don't know if I could get away with having him as a guest just because of uh, talking, but he would be a fantastic guest. But, you know, so how, how is it now being a cop, Nako? Has it been different? Has it been challenging the last couple of years with all the madness going on? It's, it's been challenging, but I got to say, it's been, it's been great because, you know, through, you know, the riots and everything else and public, you know, sentiment, it's uh, it's time to go to work, you know, Anyone could could coast, and uh, you know when everything's going great, that, that's easy. You know what's like the saying, like you know, uh, fair seas don't make a good captain. So this is the time to you know put up, shut up. Can you last? Can you can you push through? Can you uh, achieve something? And it, it, you know you could see it as uh, bad times or just a challenge. So again, it's that flipping that mindset, and. You know, it's been kind of, you know, during the riots was kind of like the Super Bowl of policing. <laughs> it's been it's been amazing. It's been great. I, I feel for the people that are having a tough time with it. But this job really isn't it's not meant for everyone. Unfortunately, through hiring practices, you have a wide net of people that you have to throw out. And there's a lot of people that slip through uh, the net that shouldn't be here. And there's a system for getting rid of those people. And uh, only the strong survive. So. It's it's been a really interesting couple of years, and uh, I wouldn't trade for anything else. And it's just again going back to being a student of history, our lineage of guys that came before us, a couple of generations before us, particularly the post-Vietnam generation, um, were kind of going through similar similar problems they did. So, being a student of history and reading all about that, that you know, targeted assassinations on the street and riots and, and conflict and uh, just non-permissive environments. It's just the same thing that's happening now. And I knew it was coming was history. Again, history repeats itself. So I was ready for it and, you know, train every day, be relentless and we'll push through it. And the, the end result is we're going to be way much, we're going to be way better as an organization and hopefully as a nation once we get through these times. But you, you want these times. These, these are the times that build you up. Like I said, when things are going easy, you're not achieving anything. But when it's, you know, when it's tough times, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be great because you're going to be better for it when you come out through the finish line. Johnny, you agree with that? Go ahead, Johnny, go ahead. Well, my whole thing is what, what he's talking about. I, I preach this to younger soldiers as well as to my peers and those above me as well is the, the unfortunate thing is, and I'm, I'm going to say it just as well as for first responders, you know, the police, because you guys get exposed, you get murders, you get child molesters. You, I mean, you see the worst of, of what we have in society, right? You also get opportunity to see the good, right? But they, there's a very negative stigma for people in the line of work you're doing, Nako, and as well as the guys that have gone over and, and made sacrifices and they come back. We, we put this negative stigma on, you know, with this PTSD, like there's something wrong with you. You know, like he reacts this way. It's, it's because it's a, it's a negative impact where I try and preach just like you just talked about, Nako. It's like, 
No, it, it takes a special person to go and, and have to do this kind of line of work, what you you and my buddies do, and, and to be able to endure, right? So it is, I interpret it as, though this is going to make you stronger. But there's, there is a struggle that's going to come before you get stronger. Like, you're going to struggle. I'm not going to look at you negatively. And, and we're wrong as a society to say that because you've been exposed to that, there's something wrong with you or I because we can't cope. No, we're going to cope. We're going to get stronger for this. And I try and mentor that to my younger soldiers. And like I said, my peers and stuff like, no, we're going to get through this. Right. Yeah. Not everybody can do what you do not go. Not everybody can do what my buddies go and do. And at the end of the day, if we keep going along with this negative stigma, like, oh, he's got he's got mental problems. He's, he can't cope. Look, at he's 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 crazy or he's hypervigilant. That's what I'm, you know, not hypervigilant. I say hypervigilant is a good thing. You're, you're aware of your surroundings. You're just not walking through life numb with that. blinders on, not paying attention to what's going on to your left and right, because the world can be dangerous. Mm. We, we know that the world can, especially nowadays, with the shootings and everything else going on. Um, it, it's dangerous just to live in the United States now. It, and so the fact that guys like yourself and my buddies, uh, I'll throw myself in that group, we find ways to cope and find strength in all that ad- adversity and the bad things that happen. And in society needs these kinds of people. They need you. They need guys like my buddies to be that strength to get through these hard times. Right. Well, I, I don't want to misquote it, but they say like uh, hard times. You're quite a hard uh, man or something. Right. And then. Hard men produce good times, good times produce soft men, soft men produce hard times. So it's like that vicious cycle we're going around. But but that's where those hard men, like yourself and, and the, the other folks that we, we work with to our left and right, we're enduring those times because we're, we're gonna, we need to endure that to bring things back around, to bring those good times, right? But it's not a negative thing that, you know, like, geez, you know, is is not go, is he crazy because of all the things you've seen the worst in society? Like I, my short stint on the police department, the amount of murders and, and, and bodies that we found on the train tracks, murdered in, in gang violence, everything in, in the city of Boston for my small time that I was a patrolman in the area where I work. You know, I, I, the normal person can't comprehend being exposed to that. Right. Like Sean, Sean was saying last week, he went to work that morning, grab a cup of coffee. He goes to work. He's not trained for high stressful situations. Next thing you know, he's struggling to survive because the building's about to collapse on him. All those people that went to work that day, that's not what they were ready to do. But the firemen and first responders, soldiers, Marines, like we train to still consciously through repetitions, reps to continually react with, you know, muscle knee jerk reaction, because this is how we're trained. Right. And then later, after the fact, when we get a chance to to sit back and absorb what took place, it's like, holy crap, what just what just happened? Right. And that that is a strength for for guys like you. Not it's not a negative thing. I just want to reiterate and and reinforce what you were saying. Like, yeah, there is a struggle, but we come out better and stronger on the back end for the next struggle. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like um, like someone that just haven't done anything physical fitness wise. So that when they get back into it, the first couple of weeks, a month, maybe is going to be hell. You're going to feel like garbage and uh, like you can't push through it anymore. But once you get get past those first couple of weeks, you're feeling and, and, and looking a lot better than where you were. So as just as a nation, you just got to push through. It's like, all right, yeah, gas prices. We did that in the 70s. Shortage of this. Yeah, we got it. horrible politicians. 
it's cyclical. Let's hold the line, uh, stay strong, and look out for one another. Keep training and pushing, and you'll get through it. Nako, I love your positive out- outcome, by the way. Yeah, it, it, it puts a smile to my face. But back to what John was kind of saying, and I wanted to, to bring up another aspect of your life that I know you really enjoy. Uh, again, like I remember watching the show uh, about Skid Row, and I'm not going to go into the thing that you saw, um, but with the pigeon story and like seeing things like that um, must really, you know, it, like you say, screw up your brain. What do you, I know one of the things that you're very, you, you host your own podcast called the Armbar Podcast. It's a jujitsu based podcast. We actually have in our office here, she's not here today, but a girl named Sharla who's, I believe, sister in law is one of the Gracies. Um, but I, I know that like, is jujitsu kind of like an outlet for you to kind of, you know, like if you're have, you just went on in your shift, you come back. And again, as one of the protectors of, of your community, you see some terrible stuff like John was saying. Is jujitsu a great way for you to kind of get your head back straight or release? Or how did you get into that? And how does that factor into Nako, the protector's life? I got into it actually, uh, uh, New England, two New England guys, one uh, U.S. Navy SEAL is Amazing guy that did 20 years in the SEAL teams, Jocko Willink, good buddy of mine, and a guy named Nick Gold. That's a cop off in New England, and he just kept on, you know, peppering me. Hey, you got to get into jujitsu. You're going to love it. Blah blah blah. So after you know, two guys uh, that I respect keep on hitting me up, and uh, all right, let me let me look into this. So I grew up uh, boxing with my old man, so you know, groundwork was like an alien environment to me. But uh, checked it out, went into it, and. Um, you know, loved it. It's the first and foremost, it's like the school you're in is, is the big thing. And the school I'm in, it's called Grace University. is just packed with a wide spectrum of individuals of men, women, you know, 20 year olds uh, to 60 year olds. And, uh, we under the, you know, like leadership of two of our, you know, two of the best instructors, I think is their father was the one that brought uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to, to America from Brazil and started the UFC. So it's like straight from the source. So their lineage, you know, it's, you get it from the tap, like the water from the mountain, top of the mountain. It's really very pure. So they just run an amazing school. So after a hard day and, uh, you know, at work coming home and being surrounded by like-minded individuals and, you know, using the maximum exerting the maximum, potential within your body and getting that out and learning something, you know, not only you moving your body, but as you're being instructed and learning different techniques, it keeps, it keeps that brain going. And, you know, at, you know, 40 something years old to you know, some people, are, you know, hitting the brakes and thinking about retirement. I'm just thinking about what else could I do? What else could I, you know, challenge myself? How could I learn? And the side benefit is, you know, for work, you know, trying to take people into custody with the least amount of force necessary Obviously, nowadays, huge thing as it should be. So, a lot of lot of benefits. And through that school, I met uh, a couple of people who it was originally their podcast. It was uh, two Marines and an Airman. And then, uh, as time goes on, you know, like a band, this guy leaves, this guy leaves, uh, get another person. They asked me to jump on with the podcast, so I do it with uh, an Anglo Marine, uh, my friend Mike. And so we delve into. Uh, Law enforcement matters, martial arts, and um, and military stuff. So we've had some great guests from that spectrum. So it's it's just um, has multi multi benefits: spiritual, physical, and you know camaraderie. It just hits all those points. So I can't I can't say enough about 
you know, going into the martial arts at, a, at an older age. If anyone's thinking about that, it's not a lot of wear and tear in your body, like boxing or Muay Thai or these other things where you could really, you have a shelf life in those, in those uh, hobbies. But with uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you could, you could do it all the way up to the your 70s, 80s, 90s if you wanted to. I, I like what you're saying about challenging yourself constantly challenging yourself. I like to challenge myself as well. And thank Marco as well. Yeah, Joy, <laughs> Joy, is, a, Joy is a pilot, so, uh, and she was quite a good pilot. And and she... I got my license when I was 17 and then didn't fly for, oh, I want to say 17 years and got back into it again. Yes, yes, the brain's a muscle, yes. like anything else. Yes, Use it or lose take, it. That's right, it didn't take that long to relearn everything. Johnny, do the, do the Rangers do anything? I don't. When you're training, do you guys have like self-defense or you know? I know you're an animal personally, but uh, I mean, do like do you guys teach jujitsu or anything like that? Okay, so uh, several years back, um, the Army started an initiative within the Ranger Regiment. It was it was regiment that was doing it, working with the Gracies. So they started taking on jujitsu, and then it so Ranger Regiment, like we talked about in first episode or second episode, Mark. Yeah. Um, they fall under SOCOM. They have programs and, and initiatives that take place that are at a smaller level, right? Versus the entire army. But what happened was um, during the big push for Iraq and Afghanistan, we started training soldiers as well on jujitsu and the army developed its MACP program, Modern Army Combatives Program. And it's very similar to what the uh, Marine Corps Combatives Program as well. And it's incorporation of, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat with utilization of jujitsu, right? Um, they teach you the fire strikes, you know, your punches, your kicks, um, and then your takedowns, right? So myself, when I was younger, um, Mark, I, right after, right, right about around high school timeframe, I started taking, uh, where UFC was more like underground, um, my cousin had taken him and Gary Eblen on Boston PD um, he taught the hand-to-hand -hand self-defense stuff on Boston Police Department, but he was a childhood friend. He was older than me, uh, but he knew my whole family. They had a karate dojo in Hyde Park section of Boston. And on Thursday nights, um, as I was getting onto the police department, um, they used to give classes. It was a combination. It wasn't so much just focused jujitsu, but I thought it was perfect for like law enforcement. Knocko. It was, it was boxing. Then, um, you know, some kicks, nothing too fancy with the karate but more into Muay Thai. So the <laughs> elbows and knees, and then in, into the jujitsu for takedowns. And I thought it worked out really good for law enforcement because, it, you know, I want to keep distance. I don't want somebody to be able to pull my own firearm. So that's where the boxing would come into play, right? Then if the suspect or myself, we had to close the distance. Now we're working with elbows, head butts and knees. And then <laughs> if we go hands-on, we're grabbing each other. Now we're into grappling. I do a quick takedown. And again, try, I was always looking at it as ways like, as it was, you know, step one, we're out here punching. Step two, we're inside close with elbows. Step three, I'm doing a takedown. Meanwhile, the whole time as law enforcement, and which incorporates over into the military, I'm thinking, all right, I'm already armed and I can't allow this person to use my own weapon against me. So it was always conscious minded that I was carrying and that weapon could always be pulled on me. Um, so. The idea of uh, rolling around too long on the ground was not always one of the things I thought uh, should <laughs> be a focal point unless, you know, I did have a partner or my, my rifle team member was there to put put a gun on him while I tie him up, right? Um, 
but more into the jujitsu, I think uh, a lot of soldiers after the big surge and the, and the Gracies got involved with Ranger Regiment and the Army developed its combatives program. There was a huge surge of soldiers interested in it. And I think this is just my take on it. And Knuckle, you might agree. Um, it's it's also a way to help you cope. Right. So it gets you keeps your mind occupied. Like I talked with Sean on last episode, keeping your mind engaged versus to help you cope. So you're not getting caught up in those dark places for all the things you've been exposed to to help you become more resilient, more disciplined. And as well as it, it's good for your body, too, as well as, you know, being that shepherd in society, being able to d- defend yourself and protect others that way as well. Awesome. Well, Absolutely. Gentlemen, we're coming to the end of our hour. I appreciate you both for everything. Nako, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. Nako, where's the best place for everyone? On Bond Podcast. Uh, Do you guys just regular old podcast formats where everyone gets their podcast, YouTube, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it's all on YouTube and, uh, you know. All right. Uh, on iTunes, all that good stuff, yeah. All right. Well, hey, Johnny, why don't you tell uh, both Nako and our guests who we have coming up next week as our, as our guest on the show. Okay, so I served one year in Afghanistan, 2008, 2009, in Herat, Afghanistan. I was out west. Um, I was working with uh, a MARSOC team, Marine Special Operations team, as well as an American Army in, in bed tactical training team with the Afghan company um, and Afghan infantry company. And he was our actual civilian interpreter. He was an Afghan civilian. He was young in his early 20s. He worked for us as an interpreter. He put his life and his family's life at risk to come and work for us um, for what we would consider pennies. But it was it was good money for him over there in Afghanistan. And he uh, he worked for us. He pursued getting a visa, coming to the United States, became a U.S. Army soldier, made it up to staff sergeant, earned a bachelor's degree, got his citizenship. And just recently, he graduated from Officer Candidate School. He is an officer in the United States Army right now, and he's moving his family over to bring his family a better life here in the United States. And one of his important things was to be an American like us. Wow, that's great. Awesome. So Beautiful. That's, what, how about his name, Johnny? Okay, so his, <laughs> his first name is Ra- Rashid. That's good. Yeah, that's I know we can, that's all we can do. But yeah, but we had a we had a nickname for him, and it wasn't because he had big arms, but we called him Arm. Okay. And every team that he worked for afterwards, that name stuck with him. So his name was Arm. All right. He'll be on next week. Excellent. Well, once again, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Guts and Grits. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can download our podcast from all the podcast formats. Of course, follow us here on Facebook. Joy, any final last words from you? I just want to thank you both. Uh, thank you, Nako, for all your service. John, we already know we thank you very much for your service. All right. Well, Johnny, why don't you tell Nako's a big into training, as you heard. Johnny, what's our tagline when you leave? Okay, so Nako is the thing I've been telling my soldiers for years, right? As part of why the motivation, why we work out, why we exercise and physically train. And I, I always break it down to like, hey, I'm, if, if somebody's going to try and kill me, I'm going to make them work for it. Right. So my motivation to train is train to be hard to kill. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us. Nako, thank you again, sir. We'll see you all next week with Afghan interpreter Rashid. Thanks again, everybody. Bye bye. Rangers lead the way. Happy Father's Day to all you guys out there. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Guts and grit. Like, subscribe, comment, share.